are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Brian Peacock here with you on this Friday edition of the show. Part two of my conversation with John Ledyard of Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Network. He dropped an article talking about how to fix the 49ers and how uh, they were pretty close to being a very good football team with some uh, minor things they needed to, or (laughs) somewhat major flaws that could be fixed very easily with one or two players. And he laid out a plan to do it. So we're going to talk about that plan, some prospects here at Pass Rusher, uh, Josh Allen, a favorite of mine and a favorite of just about everybody's. Where might he go in the draft? Looking at wide receivers that might be around there in the top of the second round area. Who might Kyle Shanahan take a liking to? How to attack free agency? And a big question that's on the minds of a lot of 49ers fans right now that are uh, wondering why the defense has not taken that next step forward this year and if Robert Sala is the right guy to lead that defense. If you missed yesterday's show, you're going to want to go listen to part one of this conversation, too. Uh, We talked about all kinds of things, including Reuben Foster, uh, the process that led to the 49ers 2017 first round of the draft with Solomon Thomas and Foster, and if that was a good process or not, and breaking down Nick Bosa, who was a big part of John's and my plan for the 49ers and uh, would be a perfect fit for what the 49ers are looking to do in 2019 and beyond. So go listen to part one of that, and here is now part two of my discussion with John Ledyard. Let's look at the second round. If the 49ers are sitting there round two, maybe they don't draft Bosa. Maybe they want to double up. Bosa's your Leo or or defensive end, a weak side defensive end in in the 49ers scheme. You're looking for that Sam linebacker who's very similar to a 3-4 outside linebacker in Robert Sala's defense. Is there any chance that someone like Brian Burns because of his weight or uh, Josh Allen or one of these maybe stand-up rusher types that would fit that prototype better is there at the top of the second round, kind of like Harold Landry was surprisingly last year? Yeah, I think there is possibility. I mean, like Harold Landry falling has me down everything. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's a possibility. <laughs> um, you know, I think that uh, – I, I think Brian Burns' weight is going to be a big question. You know, um, I was told he was 245 going into the year. I heard from other people that are close to him that he was – 225 during the year and wow. so I, I you know somewhere between there if the truth is it's still probably too light and 245 is okay i think everybody will be all right with that um he clearly has the frame to add weight you never see him really get bullied or pushed around on tape that's the thing so um i don't think he's 225 but again yes his weight will be an issue of contention could knock him down the board a little bit uh, i think josh allen's going to go pretty high um he probably has to test well too but i think he will so uh you know i I would I would say that that one's probably more of a long shot uh, right now. How they both test is going to be big, obviously. But you know, uh, Josh Sweat tested great, and I know his medical is probably related, and he fell. And Harold Landry tested unbelievable, and uh, he was in the second round. So I mean, heck of I know how to figure out these teams, man. They they draft edge. I swear, in some positions you can figure out what the NFL like. They draft edge defenders different every single year. I don't I have no idea. You know, Derek Barnett tests terrible. He's going in the top fifteen, and apparently every team in the league covets him. You know, Charles Harris tests terrible. He's going in the top, you know, he's in the 20s. So, I mean, it's, I have no idea what to think about with these teams. Carl Lawson tested great out in the three cone and he had unbelievable tape and everything. He falls to the fourth round. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and he's dominant. I, it's so hard to figure out what the, what the NFL really 
figures out what they really value, I think, in these edge defenders a lot of the time. So um, I think the possibility is there for sure. I mean, doubling up an edge pass rush is never a bad idea, even if they draft Nick Bosa. I know they have some other needs uh, that, could, that they could address in the second and third rounds, but even if they draft Nick Bosa, man, I'm not, I'm not opposed at all to them coming back, taking another pass rusher. And so you're a little weak at wide receiver, big deal, man. But if you get two difference making pass rushers, you know, that, that solves a lot of things for your team. Solomon Thomas can rush inside situationally. You're gonna he's not gonna play as many snaps probably, which I don't really love, but you know, you're probably gonna get more out of him. You're probably gonna get the most out of him uh, in that type of a role, uh, at least right away. You probably heard his development long term. Uh, and then you have Buckner, obviously, Armstead in the mix and you know, so I mean it, it, yeah, it could be it could be beneficial to them to take two pass rushers even if they end up drafting Bozo. I love that. You're preaching to the choir, man. Draft three. I don't care if you have, if I don't care if you take seven. Well, they don't have seven picks right now. They have yeah. five draft picks, but take five pass <laughs> rushers. I don't care because uh, defense is is going to be non functional without that edge rush and and just the way the league is going. It's like, look, don't even try to tackle guys. Don't try to cover guys. Just affect the quarterback. And as long as you're not mm-hmm. getting flagged for roughing the quarterback, then you're going to be in in pretty good shape. Um, Josh Allen is an interesting one to me, and I think he's because I could see that going either way. He's got such an opportunity, though, in front of him to just knock the whole process out of the park. If he actually plays in the Senior Bowl, because half of the guys that take invites don't actually end up playing the the best ones that you really want to see. So if he actually goes and is dominant at the Senior Bowl and then works out well, it's like, yeah, okay, no chance. Now he's going top 10. But, man, his stock is one that I could see going anywhere. That's going to be an interesting one to follow, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably the most improved player in the country. I mean, I watched a ton of his tape over the summer, and I I just – I mean, he was a non-factor. He just wasn't – and I talked to Dane Brugler and other guys, too, that I tried, and I was like, yeah, this guy, I mean, he's just not very good. Like, he, I guess he can cover, and, you know, he has range against the run, but he had no idea what he was doing as a pass rusher. I mean, I don't even know if there was a good pass rush rep from him last year. I mean, it was that bad, I and mean, his numbers reflected. And he went back to school. Like, NFL, they weren't interested. Um, he went back to school, added, like, 20, 25 pounds, still kept his flexibility, figured out how to turn his hips and his feet to the pocket, uh, and get you know get his body in the right direction and how to corner and dip the shoulder and his hands took off. Uh, he's still developing there, but I mean he yeah he he just to make that kind of a leap. And here's here's the issue: everybody thinks growth is linear with players. It isn't always. So yes, this may be it with Josh Allen. My bet is that it, it isn't, and he'll keep developing. But uh, you know sometimes we tend to think, man, if he made this much progress in this one year, you know he's gonna about to take off when he gets to the NFL. Hopefully that's the case. It isn't always the case, but hopefully it's the case. Uh, I definitely think it could be with him. Um, there, everybody's gonna. But I just think we'll go high because I think if he tests well, I think it's a wrap. Because even if he doesn't go to the Senior Bowl, because uh, you know I, I, he's he's the kind of guy you want to draft. He's a, just a complete dog on the field, physical, relentless, smart. I mean, super smart, uh, nonstop motor. Coaches rave about him at Kentucky. Um, you know, he's kind of everything you want to draft in the person and in the player on the field in terms of effort and, and on the practice field in terms of leadership. And, you know, I know the coach of Kentucky would put him up against any defensive player in the league or in the country, you know, including Quentin Williams at Oliver, Nick Bosa. They don't care. You know, they really think he's that good. Um, and I don't blame him because he's had that kind of a season. And you could definitely argue this season he's made as big an impact as any player in college football on the field. Those types of players usually don't last too long. Yeah, I agree, and everyone's going to really love him. So some team will really fall in love with him, I think, personality-wise and athleticism. And I'm with you. I watched him, and I was like, ah, second or third-round pick. And then this year, he's 
huge and he playing more uh, yeah. more down like a lineman, more like an end and rushing the passer. And I will say he looks better turning the corner to the left than he is when he's lined up at left side and trying to turn to the mm. right for some reason. And that's just I think you know mm. he'll he'll continue to get better with some of those things. And he has to develop some counters. And so for that reason, maybe he doesn't fit everyone's scheme. But someone's going to definitely fall in love with Josh Allen. John Lendyard of Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Network, my guest on today's program. More with him after this. I don't always know who's going to win, but if you think you do know, you have to check out my bookie because remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. My bookie has the best player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game, and they have in-game live betting. Their mobile site is super easy to use. That's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. You might want to lay down some cash on your Niners to stay within 10.5 points of the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. You might have put some money on this Thursday night football game that I kind of have one eye on right now. The Cowboys defense blanking the Saints' high-powered offense in the first half. Very interesting. Could have made some money on that one. So lay down some cash and win big today. And if you join my bookie now, they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code locked on to activate that offer. My bookie will match your first deposit 100% up to $1,000. So who doesn't like some free money? Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use promo code locked on when creating your account to claim that 100% bonus for your. First, deposit with my bookie where you play, you win, you get paid. Okay, so top of the second round, 49ers are on the board, and wide receiver is what they're looking for. I talked with Trevor Sikama, your co-host on Locked On NFL Draft, and he had some of his favorites. Who do you think is the best guy that could be there at the top of the second round for the Niners? No chance the DK Metcalf, like the neck thing, maybe he falls a little bit, but I, I mean, he's such a beast. I can't see him being there at the top of the second. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I think he's going round one, but the neck is a concern, and you know he he does only run a couple routes at Ole Miss, you know, so we'll see how much teams are troubled by that. But another guy, I think, is, you know, teams are going to fall in love with the character. He he plays like a big receiver on the field. He has that edge to his game. He'll block. Uh, he'll do the little things. You know, he's unselfish kind of guy. But he just he is such an unbelievable frame, and as long as he tests great, I think you'll see him go high. Um, it's hard to say this far out, obviously, but I, I think what happens with a guy like Riley Ridley, who I think is really comparable to Michael Thomas in some ways, will the NFL learn from that mistake? Will they not? You know, he gets a very small percentage of the targets at Georgia. Where really, no one gets targeted much at Georgia. They just feel like they have to pound the ball for some reason, even though they have 10 five-star receivers. Uh, I think that Ridley <laughs> could be looking at his best football in the NFL he and Metcalf are probably going to be my one-two at wide receiver, but I could see him being there still early in the second round. I mean, he's he's a really, really good player. I don't know that there's a real clear-cut weakness with Riley Ridley's game. He probably doesn't have Metcalf's level of upside, but it's kind of similar to Michael Thomas where, like, when he got targeted, he made awesome catches. He made contested catches. He separated from guys in his route. He had good releases. You know, he did things after the catch. He was tough. You know, but Michael Thomas, everybody just thought he was good at stuff and didn't really think he was great at anything. I, you know, and I, I watched Michael Thomas and I was like, this guy's a top 10 player in the class. I mean, he's the best receiver in this class. Like, forget Treadwell and Dotson and Fuller and all these other guys. Like, this is the best receiver in the class. And, and he was the whole time. And I think people just kind of saw that he didn't get many targets and stuff. And I, I wonder if that's going to happen with Riley Ridley. 
I mean, obviously the NFL agreed. They didn't think that much of Thomas. And I think, I honestly think Ridley can be a similar type of player in the NFL. I'm not going to say he has Thomas's production or anything because Thomas is playing with Breeze and he could be just as good a player in a worse situation and not be producing like he is now. Uh, but, you know, if Ridley runs in that type of situation, um, you know, in San Francisco, we'll see if it's that type of situation. Uh, obviously a lot more to evolve, has to evolve there. But I, I really think if you talk about making your receivers like a basketball team, you know, I just think that a guy like Ridley who can be possession underneath, who can make things happen under, after the catch, who can make contested grabs and is a di- – I mean, he is a dynamic threat in the red zone right now for Georgia. I think he has like – he only has any catches this year. He's only like 11 touchdowns or something. I mean, he he just he knows how to go attack the football and, and get open in the red zone. Um, to me, he's the type of player the 49ers need in the receiving core. Certainly not the only one in Kill Harry, uh, Calvin Harmon. Depending on how they run, they could both be available in that range as well. You know, but they need a big body, powerful type of player. Um, obviously, the more dynamic, the better. But they need a guy that may, can make contested catches, can win physical matchups, can attract the other team's be- biggest corner. So you get that guy away from a guy like Marcus Goodwin or Dante Pettis. You need a guy like that on your team uh, to round out your receiving core. So their good news is there's tons of options in this class, lots of big receivers. Now it's about finding the one with the highest ceiling. They can be the most dynamic, not not just make contested plays and work against press coverage, but can he win vertically? Can he win in the air? Can he make just tough catches in general? You know, think DeAndre Hopkins. Can he do things after the catch? That's what will be the, the issue that 49ers have to kind of figure out who's the best guy in those areas that they could have that could be the most dynamic presence for their team. Riley Ridley is an interesting name because I think that's of the big-bodied guys. And my favorite is uh, is Hakeem Butler because he's just a beast. And I, I Kyle Shanahan just does I, – I got a feeling he's not going to like Hakeem Butler. He's not going to like Nikhil Harry. Yeah. Um, but Riley Ridley is – he gives you a lot of value in between the 20s as well as red zone value and a little bit slicker route runner. And I think that's the guy – and Michael Thomas is a very interesting comp there. I hadn't thought about that one for Riley Ridley. Um, I think that – you might be onto something there because I think he fits more of the Shanahan mold of the players he likes as far as the the bigger-bodied – receivers go um real quick i want to the one thing i disagreed with you about and and by the way go to the draftnetwork.com and you can find john ledyard's article about uh, fixing the san francisco 49ers in the 2019 offseason um i would say when it comes to the cornerback position and look yeah earl thomas all whatever you have to do throw the money at him to bring him in it's the perfect fit the per exactly the 49ers need a captain in the secondary there in the middle of the field and they've had so many miscommunications earl thomas is a no-brainer there um i would rather than going into the draft again because two drafts in a row they've spent third round picks on developmental type corners that you know are height weight speed guys and would theoretically fit the scheme and they need to develop still i would go to cornerback with some money and just make sure that you have a second corner across from Richard Sherman that can start week one that you can count on and then still try to develop the upside with the other guys that you've already drafted in the last uh, couple of third rounds because drafting another third-round corner, like what are you going to gain from that versus what you've already done? So that's the one thing I would change about what you had in this uh, in this sort of mock offseason for the 49ers, and I 100% completely agree yeah, Le'Veon Bell might sound good. Fans would probably get excited about that name, but don't even look at him. I agree. Right. It's uh, the corners are going to be interesting because on the surface, I agree with you. You know, when when I looked at the options and I looked at the free agents and I thought about trade targets and things like that, it was 
okay, who's the sin? Who's the, you know, they, they, it's a, if Soleil's still there, it's a very specific type of corner. They're not just going to, you know, I'm not just going to put, sign Ronald Darby on the piece, you know what I mean? Because we, everybody knows they're not going to sign Ronald Darby. They're not going to sign Bradley Roby. That, that's not the type of corner yeah. that they desire to have play on the outside. So that made it a little bit tough. It's like, okay, who's the good fit? Who's the player that, that you really want to bring in that's available in free agency that's going to be that surefire starter? I just I didn't see a guy like that when I was looking through at the free agent option. Certainly trading's uh, you know, an option. You know, wasn't quite ready to get into that with, with all the options there, but it's it's not a bad corner class. I just don't know if I see the street for what San Francisco does defensively with any of these guys that are available in free agency, and I see a ton of potential fits in the upcoming draft. And one other thing to keep in mind, Akella Witherspoon was always kind of a developmental player, and so was Tavares Moore. I don't think they necessarily means that every corner they could draft would be developmental. There are lots of corners that play early on and, and that make more of an impact. Not that there isn't still a learning curve, but to make more of an impact. I think if they went with somebody like that, whether it's your early second-round pick or maybe a guy like that's available in the third, more likely uh, one of your early picks or you trade up or you or you get rid of somebody. You know, There's lots of options, I think, when you're thinking about uh, you know they could trade away a pick next year to move up for a guy, whatever it might be. Um, it is a little bit tricky figuring out what to do with that cornerback position, but I do think there's guys that could potentially make more of an early impact and have less of a developmental curve uh, than the two guys that they drafted most recently in, in – Maybe that just requires you have to spend a little bit more of an early pick on one of those guys. And the other thing is you add a Bosa, you add another pass rusher, getting after the opposing quarterback is going to help whoever they have back there uh, develop right. a little faster and cover, you know, not have to cover as long. So that's obviously another key. Real quick, uh, before I let you go here, John, defensive coordinator Robert Sala, you just mentioned him. You keep him around? You Maybe at least maybe you don't fire him, but you kind of keep one eye on, on who might be available? It's tough. Um, being from the outside looking in, um, you know, especially not following everything and looking at every game for the 49ers, you know, to, to criticize a coach, I think you have to really have a ton of familiarity with, with the, either the team on a game-to-game basis or, you know, I think you have to know that the talent there is great and he's not getting the most out of it. I think we both agree that the second one isn't true. You know, there, there is not great talent in a lot of areas in this defense. And a lot of it's been hurt. You know, they're, they're, they've had a revolving door in the secondary that really kills communication issues. Um, they've had a ton of young raw players they drafted that are going to take time to develop. Like you said, you know, I mean, again, that is that really on him at this point? I mean, certainly to develop them is, but you know, those guys are playing right away. You know, I mean, so that's tough. That's a tough sport to put your D coordinator in. Um, it seemed like he was a player favorite and a guy that would got a lot of respect around the league when that process is starting. I would like to see from my 30,000-foot view it play out a little bit longer um, with him. I would like to see him be retained for next season. I don't, I'm don't. i not sitting, standing here saying it's a bad move if they fire him. I just thought there was promise there. I think they're still trying to get the right players on the field. Um, they've given him a lot of raw players, and then one stud in Ruben Foster – who obviously didn't work out uh, for a number of reasons, but then was also injured uh, two afternoons on the field. So almost revolving toward every position, um, it's just really difficult. Uh, I don't know that we can really judge him off of the last couple of years. So um, this year is obviously huge, yeah. So go out and get him all the talent he needs, and if you believe in the scheme and that's the scheme you want to run, I think you can run that. But I, you know, I just I would like to see him be able to operate with greater talent 
before saying, you know, got to get him out of here. He's got to go. John Ledyard of Locked On NFL Draft and the Draft Network. Thank you so much for your time. Everybody go out there and subscribe to Locked On NFL Draft. John, thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, a quick break here, and then we'll dip into the Locked On 49ers mailbag for the final segment. On that last topic about the 49ers defensive coaching staff and watching this Thursday night football game with the Saints and the Cowboys and how good that Cowboys defense has looked and how good they've looked under defensive backs coach Chris Richard, who came from Seattle and was one of those critical pieces to the Legion of Boom defense in that secondary in Seattle. Oh, man, that might that's an interesting name to keep an eye on for the 49ers if they do want to change defensive coordinators remain in the same scheme. Chris Richard right now, defensive backs coach, has a little bit of experience as defensive coordinator with Seattle. I don't know why or how that ended with his run as, you know, going from DB coach to defensive coordinator and then getting fired in Seattle. But uh, that is an interesting name. I know Eric Crocker, who's a friend of the show and a defensive back expert, former DB uh, in the pros. Uh, he really likes Chris Richard, too. And and I got to imagine guys like Earl Thomas and and Richard Sherman have a lot of respect for Chris Richard. So that's just an in- interesting name to, to keep in mind going forward here. And he might be a hot candidate uh, as a defensive coordinator this offseason. I want to start with one question here. This is from Bob's Gourmet on Twitter. And I've gotten this question a lot. So I wanted to drop it on the podcast because I've responded to a similar questions numerous times on Twitter. Uh, his question is, since Washington picked up Foster, are the 49ers still on the hook for his salary? And does it affect the salary cap next year? So, yeah, first of all, and some people have asked about compensatory picks. No, 49ers don't get any compensatory picks. Those are only for free agents, unrestricted free agents that you lose in free agency and other teams sign. Foster will count toward some dead money toward the cap, a little uh, a little over $2 million, like $2.3 million basically is what he's going to cost. Prorated signing bonus stuff, but he didn't have any guaranteed money left anymore because of the suspension. So Niners on the hook for $2.3 million, no comp picks, and Washington picks up his regular salary. Some emails to get to, sort of ignored the emails, went to Twitter with Nick for the mailbag on Tuesday. So uh, let's dip into the emails here. Let's go to Jeffrey, who asks about Cleland Farrell. First, he says, love the podcast. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. I appreciate it. Regarding Cleland Farrell, I noticed that Farrell lines up constantly on the right side of the D line. When I see him line up on the left side, he doesn't appear to be as effective. How would that affect the 49ers evaluation whose system wants a dominant edge rusher? from the left side. So Cleveland Farrell, if you don't know, he is a prospect that will be maybe a a top half of the first round draft pick, a defensive end from Clemson. He's a long prototype looking defensive end. And yes, he does line up mostly on the right side Uh, the weak side defensive end, the, the Leo, which is what Cleveland Farrell would play if the 49ers drafted him would line up a lot on the right side. So it's not a big problem. And I think it's just that, you know, he doesn't look as good on the left side because he doesn't do it as often. So just reps and and learning the technique and stuff and and flipping that and and flipping his body and doing things the other way. It probably just means he's got more upside to be better on the left side once he actually gets the reps and works at that. So I, I wouldn't worry about that too much unless you really believe that he can't figure it out and if they draft somebody that high, they're going to bring him in and work him out. So I, I think they'll have all that stuff figured out. So I wouldn't worry about that necessarily with Cleland Farrell, especially because whoever they bring in as the next Leo is going to be on the right side a lot anyway uh, as a weak side defensive end. To Rodney via email, and by the way, that email is LockedOn49ers at Gmail. You can always hit me up on Twitter. It's probably the best place to keep the conversation going. Find me at BD Peacock on Twitter. To Rodney's email, he said, what is the number for an over-under on how many yards Russell Wilson will throw against our secondary. 400? Is he going to target Sherman? 
Uh, yeah, he might have a little extra juice going against Sherman if you heard Sherman's quotes from Thursday talking about uh, that, you know, how great the, basically the press was asking Sherman how great his former teammate Russell Wilson was. And he said, yeah, he's great and did a lot of great things, but he also had games where he threw four interceptions. So I, you know, he can be defended, which I thought was a, f- a hilarious answer. And if um, Russell Wilson hears that, he'll probably be like, okay, let's go. Uh, that'll be interesting. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to target him. I bet they like most teams, probably will try to target the other side more often. But uh, Russell Wilson, you know how he does and likes to hold on to the ball and then roll out and, and make plays with his legs and keep plays alive and then make throws. So we'll see if the 49ers can uh, cover guys and maybe come up with the first interception by a cornerback this season for the 49ers. Eric has a question about the front office. He says, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and enjoyed the downtime. Thank you very much, Eric. And and thank you for shouting out the rest of the listeners that I do hope as well had a great Thanksgiving and holiday. Uh, Brian, I got to be honest with you. I'm starting to wonder if Shanahan and Lynch are the guys for the job. They have two weeks to prepare, and that's what you put on the field? Pathetic. D coordinator's got to go. He's terrible. The team doesn't seem to be improving in any facet of the game. The front office is are completely blowing the draft process, free agent shopping opportunities. Bethard, Pettis, Joe Williams, Thomas, Witherspoon. My God, I want to redraft. They need to spend more money on proven commodities. The only maybe would be McKinnon. We never got to see him. Garoppolo wasn't setting the world on fire. Ward's always hurt. I just can't decide why I should keep watching. They're just depressing to watch. Help. (laughs) <laughs> That's Rick from L.A. Uh, so, yes, Rick, um, I understand your pain. As I talked with uh, John Ledyard about uh, the process, and you can't entirely fault the front office for the process that landed them some of the players and some things you really can fault them for. And I, I, I think they overdrafted some guys. You mentioned Bethard, Joe Williams. Those guys were obviously overdrafted. I think that's clear. The, but the the scouting staff had it right with Joe Williams. And so I think that's one of the big clues with how things are going. And hopefully the, the thing is, is John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, they need to self-scout. They need to realize and learn. They have two drafts now, and they were novices coming in, first-time head coach, first-time GM. Now that they've had a couple drafts, they know who's smart in the building. They know who's good. They know who the best scouts are. If Adam Peters and, you know, and the whole crew there, they put together the draft board in 2017. And a lot of it they had done before Kyle Shanahan came on board because um, Shanahan, I mean, or at least a lot of the scouting was done because Kyle Shanahan probably hadn't watched a single prospect because he was coaching for a Super Bowl. And so Joe Williams wasn't on the 49ers draft board like at all. And he shouldn't have been. That was right. The scouting department had it right. Kyle Shanahan wanted him so bad. And John Lynch's job is to get Kyle Shanahan his pieces. So he's like, okay, I'm going to get your guy. We're going to move up and draft him in the fourth round. Knowing that and learning from that, I think will be huge for, for this front office. And they're not going anywhere, so you, you can't worry about that. You just hope that they have learned from their mistakes, realize what they did right, do more of that, do less of what they did wrong, and I think they'll be okay. And I think they're smart, and I think they're competitive, and I think they will learn from some of their mistakes from the first couple of drafts in the first couple of years. And so that's what you should be looking forward to, and hopefully they do figure that out, and, uh, and, and, and that'll help them get better. Going forward, I think there's, uh, you know, just like the players on the field that are young and developing, I think they will develop. And I think there's a lot of um, a lot of smarts. And uh, I, I like Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, and I think they will figure it out. And they've done some things very right as well, you know, like with George Kittle. So th- it hasn't been all bad. 
to David, who says, other than Brita, I didn't see effort today. He's talking about this is from uh, that Tampa Bay game from anyone on this team. Even Sherman and Staley were getting beat easily today. Does anyone want to even play, let alone win? Should I bother watching any more of the games this season? Yes, you should still watch because there's players developing and there's those young players that got on the field a lot. There's a ton to learn from. And uh, I think there's some things aside from the scoreboard and the W's and L's to learn from. And I think that was a good point, though, David. This is the first game where it looked like the 49ers heart wasn't exactly in it. They came out super flat. I think the the Reuben Foster thing that happened had to have a part in it. You know, the cross-country trip, 10 a.m. start, East Coast. I think all that coming together was just weird. And sometimes, and it, it seems odd, but a lot of teams don't play that great after a bye week. And I don't know what it is or, or why it is. Maybe they're just not into the, the groove of things like they are in previous weeks. But if they start laying eggs and aren't playing hard and, and seem really flat the rest of the way, then you'll know that the team has finally sort of quit. And that's a bad thing, but up to this point, they haven't. So I'm going to give them a pass on just the weirdness of that week and the weirdness of that 24 hours and the game in Tampa, and we'll see if they show up and play with heart. And it might not mean a W, but I expect them to bounce back at least and play hard. And the players that are that are good, the guys that we've counted on, and you know the Kittles, and like you mentioned, Breedas, Sherman, Staley, those guys are going to show up, I think, in Seattle, even if they don't get the W. To make sure these guys aren't quitting, I think that's another thing to watch for this week for sure. But David, I think you're right. The criticism is fair. They they laid an absolute egg last week. Okay, we're out of time here. Thanks everybody who's been getting those email and Twitter questions into me. Keep those coming at BD Peacock on Twitter. Locked on 49ers at Gmail is the email. There was a lot of other ones where people are just sad and annoyed with the Foster thing and 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 playing bad in Tampa. And like John said in part one of of our conversation on yesterday's podcast, the 49ers are close. Like they have some good pieces. They've got a a smart, offensive-minded head coach. The defensive coordinator thing, I get it. It's up in the air. Uh, Maybe they make a change. Maybe they just add the pieces because they are definitely missing some very crucial pieces, cornerback, pass rusher. Uh, There's a ton of injuries there, free safety. When they get those things figured out, This team could really take off very quickly, so don't get completely down. There's some things to watch the rest of the way here, some development to pay attention to. And as John laid out, and as I have laid out on the podcast, there is a path to being a very good football team as early as week one in 2019. But you got to take your medicine a little bit the rest of the way. But there's a lot of things to take away from these last five games. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On 49ers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be back next week with a little rapid react on Monday right here on Locked on 49ers.